<clears throat> as was advertised here last Sunday, on Friday evening at Men Alive, we had our Grilla Christian and festive feast night. And I am delighted to report, having been there on Friday evening, I can indeed confirm that the two parts of the evening were separate. Um, and I'm really relieved about that because I was the Christian who was grilled. I wasn't put under any heat source. The only heat came from the questions that were thrown at me. And actually, it wasn't that bad at all. My, my son-in-law was very kind in getting me the questions beforehand and making sure that nobody pounced on me on the night with like unexpected questions as well. So at least I had a wee bit of time and I didn't just have to think on my feet. And as you would imagine, there were lots of questions that were being asked. And some of those are the, the things that you might expect when somebody has an opportunity to ask someone about the Christian faith and about the Bible. So there were things about revelation and the return of Jesus and what happens to us when we die and how we get to heaven and do we stay in heaven and all of that kind of stuff. And that's important. Well, it's, it's very important because that's to do with eternity. But I was really encouraged as well that there was a question about prayer and about how we organize our prayer life in a way that we're actually making a count. Because I, I don't know about you, but I certainly need guidance on how to pray. And if I'm being really honest, at times I do struggle with prayer. And I'm sure that if you were being honest, you would admit the same. Um, one, this is not the exclusive time when I pray, and it doesn't always work out like this. But I've mentioned recently, I try and pray when I'm out walking the dog, at least the, the first walk, and, and, and I'm walking along, and sometimes I almost measure my lack of concentration in prayer by the fact that I'm still on the same kind of thing, having covered a certain amount of distance. So, we do need to think a lot about prayer, about the content of prayer, and of course, we need God's grace and His help in praying. And for us tonight, the, the thing that we can be thankful about is that the Bible is full of guidance on how we pray. There is teaching about prayer in the Bible, and that's great. But in actual fact, the, the most guidance comes through example. We are given more examples of prayer in the Bible than we're given teaching about how we should pray. And that's really helpful for us because educationalists, teachers here tonight would tell you that by far the best way to learn is by example, is by learning by watching an expert in action. And I think that one of the things that we, we struggle to understand when it comes to prayer is, what do you pray for your fellow believers? I mean, in one sense, it, it's easier for us, although it can be emotionally painful for us if it's someone we love, but it's easier for us to pray for non-Christians because, you know, it's, it's so clear what the, the goal is and what the purpose is as we pray. Lord, save them. And we can be really persistent. Lord, please, in your mercy, work by your Holy Spirit in that person's life and my loved one or my, my neighbor or my friend's life and change them, bring them to Christ and to salvation. And we get that. But when we come to pray for other Christians, for 
our family members who love Jesus, for the people around us in our church family who love Jesus? Well, spiritually, what do they, what do they need? And what should we ask God to provide for them? And so tonight we're going to look at what Paul prays for the Ephesian believers at the end of chapter 3. Turn with me to that passage again, and it's a prayer that is well worth taking a closer look at, because in one sense it is what we should desire for ourselves as believers, the things that Paul is praying for these believers. We should want this to be our experience of the Lord, to be our experience of Christian discipleship, and then it's what we should be praying uh, about our four other believers, that it's what they would increasingly experience in their life <clears throat> as well. So, we'll look at the end of chapter 3 under two headings. I'm almost reluctant to do that after this morning's time, timing issues, but we're going to look under two headings, um, and the headings are content and confidence. And once again, the, the lion's share of this will be under the first heading content, but I do promise we'll get to the second one tonight. So, let's go. So, content, we're going to jump straight into this passage, but maybe just one wider thing to be briefly noted. And what we get to see here in the book of Ephesians is that prayer and teaching must always go together, that they go hand in hand. Because the prayer that Paul prays here is the prayer that follows all of his teaching in chapter 2 and the first part of chapter 3. And in fact, if you were to take some time to read those two chapters together, you would see that this prayer is the logical progression of what he's been teaching. It is the logical thing for him to be saying to the Lord and asking of the Lord, given everything that he has told the Ephesian believers so far in this letter. And that is the, the apostolic way. If you look through the New Testament, that's not only the case with Paul, it's the case with Peter and John and the other apostles. And indeed, it is the way of Jesus. So, if you take, for example, John's gospel, and uh, if you were to read through John's gospel in chapters 13 to 16, you have what's known as the farewell discourse. It's before Jesus goes to the cross, and He is teaching His disciples there very important things about what's going to happen, especially about the giving of the Holy Spirit and why the Holy Spirit is going to be so important in their lives as disciples of Him going forward. And then that is immediately followed. If you look at John chapter 17, verse 1, all of this teaching, and then we are told by John that Jesus lifted His eyes to heaven and prayed. He teaches, and then He prays for His believers that they will be able to apply this teaching in their life, and they will know the help of the Holy Spirit in doing that. So, what can we learn from the content of Paul's prayer here in verses 14 to 19? What things can we learn that will help us to pray? Well, let's look at the content of this prayer together, and the first thing we note is that his prayer is selfless. 
By that, I mean the focus is on the Lord, and it is a prayer that is prayed for the good of other believers. And I think that that stands out in contrast to the way in which we so often pray, that often our prayers are about me, myself, and I. In fact, it's, it's very easy to become self-absorbed in prayer. And sometimes we, we have a theological rationale in our own mind as to why we should be self-absorbed. We know the importance of repenting. We know the importance of confessing our sin and our unworthiness. But even that can become something that is just so self-focused and self-absorbed that we then fail to get beyond that and to pray for others. But when we say that this particular prayer of Paul is selfless, what we mean most of all is that the focus is on God and not on Himself. We know that our praying can so quickly become all about us. But remember the purpose of prayer that we often emphasize here from God's Word, that prayer is much more about relationship than request. It is a way for us to get to know the Lord better, to grow in our relationship with Him. And what you get to see in this prayer is that it is all about God. It is not about Paul. Look at what he says in verse 14. Paul is telling them that he is coming to God on his knees. And that's remarkable because it was much more normal for a Jewish man to stand in prayer. You, you sometimes see that. You see the pictures on the TV of the uh, Orthodox Jews, the Hasidic Jews, and they're at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. And you see the way they kind of like bow forward, but they're standing upright when they're praying. And that was the, the normal posture of prayer. But Paul says that he is on his knees, and it is a powerful indication of his sense of awe before God his earnestness about what he is seeking from God and asking him for. And yet alongside that, he is saying here that he is praying before the Father. So, there is also this sense of privilege, this sense of being able to approach the Lord, knowing that he is someone who cares for him. And people, it's understanding who we pray to, that changes our prayer life more than anything else, more than any kind of how-to techniques on praying, understanding the character, the nature of who we pray to will transform our prayer life more than anything else that we learn. So, Paul's prayer, the content of this prayer is selfless, but then the next thing to say about this prayer is that it is spiritual. And you might think, well, talk about stating the obvious, Philip, of course. It's spiritual. It, it's, it's a prayer. Prayers are spiritual by their nature, aren't they? But what I mean when I say that it is spiritual is that he is not actually bringing the physical and the material needs 
of his fellow believers before the Lord in this prayer. And that seems to me something that is important for us to, to notice here and to learn from. Because that's actually very different to the way in which we pray for one another. It's very different from the prayers that I hear myself pray and others pray when we gather together at prayer meetings. And by the way, don't let that put you off being at a prayer meeting. It's not that I'm judging your prayers. I mean that. But you know what I mean. Like, as we sit together and often as we pray for one another, the first and quite often the only thing that we think of praying about is the the physical health of another believer. Now, it's not wrong to pray about that. In fact, there is a wonderful invitation in God's Word to come and bring the physical needs of our fellow believers before the Lord. And we know that we come to a heavenly Father who is concerned about the whole being, about our physical and our mental and our spiritual condition. That is true. But I love how the great Don Carson puts this when he says, we spent much more time praying to keep believers out of heaven than non-believers out of hell. That's a bit facetious maybe, but you know what he means. You know that we're praying about everybody's bunions and, you know, clicky hips and all of that kind of stuff, that that becomes the big, big focus of our prayer life and our prayer meetings. And these issues are important, but they're not actually what Paul brings before the Lord here in this prayer. He prays primarily for the spiritual welfare and blessing of his fellow believers. So, his prayer is um, a, a selfless prayer, It is a spiritual prayer, but then you'll see as well that his prayer is scriptural. It is a biblical prayer. And again, you'll say, well, again, totally obvious, Philip. Of course, it's a biblical prayer. We find it in the Bible. But what I mean is it follows a pattern of prayer that we see in Scripture. So, if you think about the emphasis that, that Paul has in his prayer, we see lots of similarities with prayers that he would have been familiar with from Scripture or from the the tradition that was passing down, the teaching of Christ that was being passed on by his fellow apostles. So, if we think of Nehemiah, for example, in Nehemiah chapter 1, and in fact, if you look at that passage with me, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4, and there Nehemiah has got word of the state of Jerusalem. God's city is in disarray. It's lying ruined. And God's people are in disarray as well. And it grieves Nehemiah so much so that we, we hear from Nehemiah in Nehemiah 1 verse 4 that when I heard these things, when I heard about the state of God's people, I sat down and wept For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And what does he pray? Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, verse 5, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants." 
So it is the Paul pattern of prayer. Focused on the Lord. Lord, you are awesome. Lord, your, your, your covenant of love is amazing. You always keep your, your promises. And now I am coming to you to ask that you will help, not your servant. He asks about that at the end, but it's for the sake of serving others. He comes first of all and he says, Lord, help your servants. Or Daniel chapter 9. Daniel 9 verse 19. And Daniel prays also in exile, Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. The focus is on God, not on himself. It is outward. He's praying for his fellow believers, his fellow covenant people. Or we think of the prayer of Jesus that I referred to in John 17. After he has taught his disciples, he then prays for his disciples, present and future. And he prays down in verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And isn't it amazing that Jesus prayed for you in this way? That always blows my mind. And I hope it does really strike you that Jesus prayed for you, that we have recorded in Holy Scripture, Jesus praying for you. And in each of these prayers, the focus is on others. It's on the spiritual need of people. That is the primary concern. So, his prayer is scriptural, but then another thing coming back to Ephesians chapter 3 about Paul's prayer, and that is that it is specific. And that's so important that we recognize that Paul is very specific in what he prays for his fellow believers. It's not, Lord, bless them. Lord, be with them. And sometimes we never get beyond that. We never graduate from that or list, you know, our prayer that, Lord, be with. And God, I'm sure, and I'm not being in any way facetious, but he must, you know, think every time I pray that I am with them. I am with them. I am with them. Yep, I'm with them. I've promised I'll never leave them nor forsake them. It's a bit of a wasted prayer is what I'm saying. When I or you pray, Lord, be with, and it's one of his people that we're praying for. And now you'll be listening for me praying that the next time I pray in public. But no, for Paul, there are two requests made to the Lord for these people. And they're very specific and they're very theological, and we don't have time to unpack all of this tonight. But the first is for an inner strength through the work of the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, I pray that out of His glorious riches, He, that is God, may strengthen you, that is His fellow believers, with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I don't think we often pray for one another in that kind of way. What we're all about today is seeing the explosive power of the Holy Spirit. You know, we want big dramatic demonstrations of God at work rather than praying for the slow 
ongoing, at times unspectacular work of the Holy Spirit in our fellow believers' lives, leading to a deepening response to God. So, he prays that they will have inner strength through the work of the Holy Spirit, and then he prays, and then he prays that they will have ability to comprehend the unlimited, immeasurable love of God in Christ. Verse 17, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know His love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And what does that mean, that last bit, to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God? Well, the, the writer Peter Jeffrey, nothing to do with any former Balamina managers, but it's got some people more alert to that, or the, the name, but Peter Jeffrey writes, this means that we may be saturated with God and that our lives may more and more be emptied of self and filled to overflowing with the presence of God. And that stands to reason if we are filled with the, the knowledge and the presence and the fullness of God, then it will not be all about me. And we'll see in our own lives the fulfillment of that motto of John the Baptist, that desire that he had in his heart in John 3.30 that we often talk about here, that when it comes to Jesus, he must increase, I must decrease. <clears throat> so, the content of this prayer, and what will motivate us to prayer? What will motivate us to pray for one another? Well, the big motivation is the knowledge of the one that we are praying to, because that leads to confidence. And just before we finish, it is worth taking a look at Paul's doxology at the end of this prayer and this chapter, that he finishes with these incredible words of praise, expressing the greatness of the one that we pray to. And what Paul is essentially saying here is that our faith in the Lord, our ability to pray, they are limited. For this is the one that we pray to. Take a look at verse 20. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us. People, God is able to do abundantly more than we expect or, and this is the amazing part, we even think of seeking from Him. Sometimes our prayers are limited because of a lack of effort, a lack of diligence, a, a lack of application to the process of prayer. Sometimes our prayers are limited because our minds are limited, and we just can't even begin to grasp what the Lord could possibly do in a situation, what the Lord is capable of doing in this world that He made. 
God is able to do abundantly more than what we expect or even think of asking of Him. And over a lifetime of discipleship, you begin to see this. Those who are longer in the faith here tonight, many of you will be able to testify to this truth. You see how the Lord answered prayer in a way that absolutely exceeded what you expected to happen or even what you originally sought from Him. And so, I want to finish with a a quote from Alistair Begg. I know we had a quote from Alistair Begg this morning, but he just puts these things so well. And when he's thinking of prayer here, when he says this, he's not only thinking of the prayer or the doxology that Paul prays or says at the end of Ephesians 3, he's also thinking of those words of the Lord Jesus who is talking about a faith that moves mountains. And I love the way he puts this. He says, pray in a way that says, you actually believe in a God who is too wise to make mistakes, who is too kind to be cruel, and who is too powerful to be subdued by the normal forces of the universe. We are weak but He is strong. We are weak in righteousness. He is perfect in His holiness. We are weak in wisdom. We're so clueless. I'm so clueless every day. Situations, and I don't have a clue what to do or how to approach it. He is too wise to make mistakes. We are weak physically. We, we know that. I fall asleep watching the TV all the time, and it must be my age, you know, I'm just sitting there, and the next thing, away I go. We're, 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 we're weak. We're physically weak. And He is too powerful to be subdued by the normal forces of the universe. He's able to do immeasurably more than all that you and I ask or imagine. This is the God that we pray to, And this is the God who we should bring one another's spiritual needs before tonight and in the coming days. May it be so for His glory and for our good. Amen.